wonderful to sing a hymn calling upon the Holy Spirit to bless our congregation as we open the Word together. That psalm tune, by the way, the tune is Psalm 42. It was written by Louis Bourgeois, one of the great um, psalm writers, uh, tune writers of the Protestant Reformation. It's one of the most well-known tunes that come from the Geneva Psalter. And if you're in a Dutch Reformed congregation, it would be a standard. Everybody knows that, that tune. So I'm hoping that we can, can make use of it, as we have with other hymns as well from time to time. Now let's turn again to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, and we'll be looking at verses 15 and 16. This morning, as we looked at our security in Christ, assurance of faith, and some of the blessings and privileges of adoption. I was unable, of course, in one sermon to unpack more fully what is really meant by the witness of the Holy Spirit. And so with the Lord's help, we wish to do that uh, this evening. Uh, somewhat, somewhat more didactic, perhaps, in approach than this morning at points. Will you join with me in prayer, and then we will read our text. Our Father, we ask that the blessed Holy Spirit, who has given to us the Word of God without error, will now illumine the page and open our minds to see and understand the truth as it is in Jesus. And grant, Father, that our hearts would be warmed by the Spirit of God, moved, that we would not be cold, but that we would be indeed hot for Christ and for the kingdom that we would love those things that are in accord with thy great being and attributes, and that we would despise those things that are contrary to thy great being and attributes. And even in a, a Sunday evening service, there may be those who are not saved, who do not know Christ, and we would pray that the Holy Spirit would open their hearts. But grant to us, thy people, the ability to understand better the work of the Spirit of God in our lives, and to recognize it for what it is, the blessed donation and gift of God the Father and the Son to us, and especially in this present evil age, help us to be dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit for holiness of life. And these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your copy of God's Word and let us stand. Romans chapter 8, we will read verses 15 and 16. This is the Word of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And notice that verse again. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Please be seated. If you are a believer in Christ, Christ earned assurance of salvation for you. Assurance is a gift. As verse 15 puts it, you have received the spirit of adoption. You do not work it up. You do not labor long to receive it. Assurance is in the Holy Spirit's indwelling you. Now, of course, Christians have a responsibility of utilizing this gift. And for a variety of reasons, full assurance of faith does take time to grow and mature in various Christians. But nonetheless, that does not set aside the fact that it is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are times when the preacher, when he preaches, must address 
all sorts of classes of people and classifications of, of sinners within the congregation. There will be those who are doubting, though there will be those who are backslidden, there will be those who are lost, and so forth. And it's important for you to remember that in preaching, every case out there must be addressed sometime or other, and false professors are probably to be found in every congregation. Now, I say that because some of us who have very sensitive consciences, when the minister of the gospel is addressing one classification or another, may say, that's me, when it's not you. And so it's very important for us to learn together how to understand these truths and to apply them biblically to our hearts and to apply those things to our hearts which actually do belong to us as those various classifications are mentioned in the congregation by the preacher. But the norm is that we hear the words of assurance from the pulpit and in our hearts, God your Father does not mean for you to live life wringing your hands over whether He loves you. He loves you, people of God. What would we think of an earthly father who treated his earthly children this way, wanting them to wring their hands, wondering if He loves them? God our Father does not want that for His people. Now, I had much more to say about the Holy Spirit's witness as the spirit of adoption than, of course, I was able to say in the morning. And so we finish this evening with this addendum to this morning with some of those thoughts. We begin with this, first of all. This question, is the witness of the Spirit immediate or mediate? Immediate or mediate? Again, notice verse 16, because we're focusing there tonight. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now the question, is this mediate or immediate, gets at whether the Holy Spirit witnesses directly with or to my spirit, or is it mediated through the Word of God, for example, in the sacraments? Well, of course, the Holy Spirit assures us in the same way that He saves us. Ephesians 1.13, He saves us through the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And the same gospel by which we come to faith in Christ is the same gospel by which we continue to be assured of our relationship with the Lord. So, of course, it is in the context of the gospel of Christ, His death, His resurrection, and all of the gospel doctrines and sacraments administered that the Holy Spirit assures His people. I knew a woman, for example, once who was assured that her son was saved, she said, because her son had had a dream of a neon sign saying that he was saved. And I suppose she wanted her son also to be assured of his salvation because of that dream. Well, that is simply not what the witness of the Holy Spirit means. That is what it does not mean. No special testimonies of sonship apart from personal experience and the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit is meant. It's all in the context of the gospel and the application of the gospel to our hearts. But having said this, I need to add that I'm not satisfied with the way in which the question is often stated, immediate or immediate. Again, let me stress, the Holy Spirit applies God's promises to our hearts, and He does that in the context of gospel preaching and the reading of His Word. For example, in 2 Corinthians 1.22, which speaks of the sealing of the Spirit, 
It does so in the context of the promise of God in Christ, the promises which are in Him, yea and amen. And so the very sealing of the Spirit is in the context of promises preached and believed and read and heard. But we do not want to fall into an over-intellectualized view such that we think, if I just understand the meaning of a text, then I will be assured. The Holy Spirit is a person, and the Holy Spirit regenerates personally, illumines our minds personally, assures me that I am God's child personally. And we should not allow fear that some might abuse this and fall into extreme views to keep us from recognizing the intimate, personal relationship of the Holy Spirit within our hearts and within our lives. This relationship that exists between the Holy Spirit and the believer's heart. And so in some sense, it surely is immediate. That is to say, the Holy Spirit is assuring my heart that I am God's child. One place in which this is really beautifully put is in the Heidelberg Catechism in question 21. You remember that the Heidelberg is one of the great catechisms of the time of the Protestant Reformation, the late Reformation. And question 21 asks, what is true faith? Now here's the answer. True faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in His Word, but also an assured confidence, which the Holy Ghost works by the gospel in my heart, that not only to others, but to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. And so what the author of the Heidelberg was saying is that, that it is not just <clears throat> a knowledge that the gospel is true, objectively, which it is. It is not just a knowledge that he saves some sinners, which, of course, he saves many, but it's a knowledge that he saves me. And that's the point here. Maybe it is best to say the Holy Spirit uses the medium of the Word, but He does so by immediate contact, indwelling and life-giving in my very soul, in your very soul, people of God. Or as John L. Girardeau put it, it is an immediate certification made to believers of the fact of their adoption. Surely we quench the Holy Spirit in the light way in which the Word of God is often treated in the church today. The Holy Spirit inspired His Word. But may we not also quench the Holy Spirit, grieve Him, if we were to forget that He is the personal God, that He is intimately, mysteriously desiring communion with Christ's blood-bought children. So there is something mysterious about this personal application of the promise to my believing heart. There is something that is supernatural, and there certainly is something personal about it. Now, you know even on a human level that relating to a person is a mysterious thing, right? Uh, sometimes you can understand very clearly what a person means by body language or by a, a glint in the eye or or they're just these intangibles. Well, how much so when the person is the third person of the Trinity and you? 
that there's going to be something mysterious about the way in which he works that is really undefinable by us. And so, yes, he uses his word. Yes, he uses the sacraments. Yes, he does this in the context of public worship and private worship. But it is still the Holy Spirit personally communicating with our souls these promises in the word. Well, the next thing we want to look at as we try and understand this, this text is, and this is second, is the, the idea of concurrent witness, concurrent witness. Now, let's read verse 16 one more time. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There you have two witnesses, you see, the witness of our spirit, the witness of the Holy Spirit. Our judgment of our state is on the basis of God's Word. So, for example, you may go to 1 John, and you're reading through 1 John, and you see that everyone who believes is born of God. Uh, You see that he who loves his brother is born of God. And you may may conclude, well, uh, these things are true of me, and therefore I am born of God. Now, this is right. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Word, but nonetheless... Nonetheless, this is also the witness of the Holy Spirit at work. There are marks of regeneration. There are marks of adoption that we may perceive from our study of the Word of God. But note in Romans 8 that there are these two witnesses, my spirit and the Holy Spirit, these two concurrent witnesses. To repeat the words of Girado, an immediate certification made to believers of the fact of their adoption. Now, the Reformers, by the way, held to this immediate witness as it's clear in Calvin on Romans 8 and other places. Calvin, for example, insists that the Holy Spirit produces saving faith, but also, I'm quoting Calvin, the Spirit is the earnest and pledge of our adoption so that we are surely convinced of God's fatherly attitude toward us. The Spirit of Christ, he says, and this is from the Institutes, never gives us new birth without equally giving testimony and pledge to our adoption so as to set our hearts free from fear and alarm. And he recognizes three blessings. Calvin says, first, the Lord teaches and instructs us by his word. Secondly, he confirms it by the sacrament. And finally, he illumines our minds by the light of his Holy Spirit and opens our hearts for the word and sacraments to enter in, which would otherwise only strike our ears and appear before our eyes, but not at all affect us within. Isn't that quite beautiful? There's the word, there's the sacrament, but there must be the work of the Spirit of God to open our hearts to receive it and to understand it and to, that it may be applied. Now, here Calvin, in my opinion, puts his finger right on the issue of why the witness of the Spirit is necessary. And it is, it's just pure Pauline theology. The depraved sinner could never work up faith, but the believing sinner is still a sinner. The regenerated sinner, that's you and me who truly believe, are still weak and needy people. And perhaps the two witnesses corresponds to the truth that in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall a thing be established. In any case, we may study the Word, we may apply the promises, but what is that without the illumination and work and witness of the Holy Spirit personally and powerfully in our hearts? That's why we should be praying for the preached Word. That's why we should be praying as we read the Bible, Lord, open the Word to us. Holy Spirit, work within my heart. 
And hence, there is joint and concurrent testimony. The two testimonies witness of the same reality. They are distinct but concurrent. Both concurrently cry, Abba, Father, as I mentioned this morning. Both cry, we do and the Spirit does. If the marks of sonship do not belong to the human witness, if if the human witness is wrong about the marks, if he's not truly regenerated, if he's not truly adopted, if the marks of sonship do not belong to the human witness, there will be no witness of the Spirit. But where there is true witness, the powerful witness of the Holy Spirit will concur with what we discern in our hearts about these things. The word that the apostle uses in this passage means to bear witness with someone. And it was used in the non-literary papyri of Paul's day, of uh, business deals and so forth. Each attesting witness signed, accompanied with these words, I bear witness with and I seal with. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. There are these two parties, so to speak. I see the work of the Spirit of God in my life. I can see the marks of God's work within my soul. But I also am in need with the the, the blessed work of the, the Spirit of God. In the powerful, omnipotent concurrence of the Spirit of God with what I perceive. Which leads us to the third thing. The witness of the Holy Spirit is perfectly assuring. The witness of the Holy Spirit is perfectly assuring. Now, here I'm somewhat following John L. Giraudot, uh, Southern Presbyterian of a bygone day. The test of whether it is the Holy Spirit's witness is whether or not it produces holy results. If it produces holiness of life, the Spirit of God is bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We endeavor after new obedience. We live lives of faith and lives of repentance. But let me add, the fact that some will misapply the doctrine of assurance is no reason to keep it from God's true people. It is perfectly assuring when the Spirit of God witnesses with our spirit that we are sons of God. The witness of our own spirit may be failing. It will be faltering. It's important, but it's going to be an imperfect view of things because we are sinners. But the witness of the Spirit must, in the nature of the case, be infallible because it is the witness of the Spirit. Now, it can be silenced by sin. Again, as I said this morning, alienating the soul for a time from the source of this infallible assurance of faith. When you sin, again, let me emphasize that that low degrees of obedience are not consistent with high degrees of assurance. And so it can be silenced and quieted by sin. Its absence, if I may reference Jurado, is great deprivation. Its loss is to a believer's soul what the extinction of sight and the absence of sunlight would be to the body. Now the body might continue some of its functions if it can't see, but what would compensate for loss of vision? Well, that's what it's like when we sin and there, there is a, a, a low assurance of faith or perhaps almost no assurance within the heart. But thank God, when lost, it can be recovered. And David is one of the great examples of this in the Bible. David repented of his great sin, saying, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. 
and uphold me with thy free spirit. And so this assurance that can be damaged so deeply by our sin can be recovered by a repenting heart that depends upon the Holy Spirit. And notice how David put that. I was on the phone with a minister once, and he said that he had been studying this psalm and that he wanted the Lord to restore restore the joy of his salvation. Restore the joy of my salvation. I said, well, brother, you need to read the psalm again. It doesn't say restore the joy of my salvation. Restore the joy of thy salvation. It is the salvation that is his gift of grace. And the Holy Spirit of God can can renew your heart if you have fallen in such a degree that the assurance of your faith has been been silenced. Well, that leads us to the next thing, the fourth thing. The witness of the Spirit is to our final salvation. And again, I reference Girado. Girado cited Dr. Thomas Summers, who taught systematic theology at Vanderbilt, who insisted that Calvinist, the Calvinist doctrine, which is biblical in my view, the Calvinist doctrine of the saint's final perseverance, he said, leads to careless living. Well, that's an old argument that just won't, will not hold, hold water. Um, the, the most godly men that have ever walked the face of the earth have been men who have believed in Calvinistic doctrine and the final perseverance of the saints. But Girardot points out that wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Now, Paul says that, in other words, saying, because we are sure of heaven, we labor to meet, to be fit for it. Because we are sure of being present with the Lord, we labor to be accepted by him. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it or will finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. Or the passage to which I pointed this morning in 2 Corinthians 5, we know, says Paul, and we are convinced. So in Romans 8, there is the Spirit's work granting internal consciousness of this promise in the external word. Dr. Thomas admits that the Holy Spirit gives assurance of the present salvation. You see, the Arminian viewpoint is that one may be assured now that he's saved, but he can't be assured tomorrow that he will remain saved. Girardot says this, he admits that the Spirit bears witness to the believer's present salvation. This is the language of his school of thought. What is this present salvation? It is conceivable that one might be temporarily delivered from the sense of guilt, from the apprehension of judgment, and from the fear of hell. But if these awful emotions may return upon him, it is obvious that he is not saved from them. Further, of what avail would be salvation for a time from the sense of guilt, the apprehension of judgment, and the fear of hell, if he is not finally saved from guilt, judgment, and hell, as actually experienced realities. A present salvation in this view would not be a real salvation, and the witness of the Spirit to the believer's salvation would be reduced to zero. Well, Girardot is quite right in answering this gentleman. If there is a sense in which I can be relieved of a sense of guilt now, but not tomorrow, that I can be saved from hell 
now, but I might go to hell tomorrow, then you haven't been saved from guilt and hell. It's, it's simply axiomatic. And so, present assurance of salvation from eternal consequences of sin is incomprehensible if we may experience the eternal consequence of sin. That makes sense to you, does it not? Arminianism, I say, is much like Roman Catholicism that provides no assurance and is pastorally cruel. Roman Catholicism teaches you cannot be assured of your salvation unless there is some special illumination, some special dream or something that God gives, you cannot be sure of your salvation. It's pastorally cruel. Calvin put it this way, then how absurd it is that the certainty of fate be limited to some point of time when by its very nature it looks to a future immortality after this life is over. Since, therefore, believers ascribe to God's grace the fact that, illumined by His Spirit, they enjoy through faith the contemplation of heavenly life, such glorying is so far from arrogance that if any man is ashamed to confess it, in that very act he portrays his extreme ungratefulness by wickedly suppressing God's goodness more than he testifies to his modesty of submission. And so it is absurd to say the certainty of faith has to be limited to right now, but it has nothing to do with the future. When everywhere in the New Testament, the whole point of assurance is that we are assured of an eternal inheritance that belongs to us now, but we are assured now of that eternal inheritance. And so, people of God, I'm really keen that you understand and appreciate that the witness of the Spirit is a witness to our final salvation. It is a witness to the salvation that has been won for us in Christ, and it is a witness to our final salvation, so that you do not have to wring your hands and wonder, will I stand before God on the day of judgment and be damned? If indeed you are saved, you are saved for time and for eternity, and you may be assured of that salvation. Now let me bring this to a conclusion by saying the witness of the Holy Spirit within our hearts as to our eternal salvation is essential to right communion with God. You see, this assurance of faith, this work of the Spirit, this witness of the Holy Spirit with our spirits that we are God's children is needed for these reasons. It is needed because our minds and feelings don't always match up. Maybe you can see the work of the Spirit in your life, and you can say, I can see that I love the brethren. You can see all of these things that are marks of being a Christian, but maybe you don't feel like you're a Christian. So your thoughts about it and your feelings don't always match up. But also, it's needed because despite evidence, we may doubt because of strong desires towards sin, because we are embattled as Christians. We're battling against sin in the heart. We always will until Christ comes again or until He calls us home. And so despite our evidences, we may doubt because of these, these battles with temptation and sin. And we also need this witness of the Spirit because we can be poor judges of our hearts, and sometimes our true Christian graces may be weak but real. 
Now, all of you know this experientially, don't you? Existentially, in your hearts. Haven't you experienced these things? I'm not preaching to people that have never experienced them, have I? Surely you know these things within your heart. Well, John Owen is extraordinarily helpful here. And I'm going to summarize the idea of what Owen has to say in volume two on communion with God. So I'm summarizing the idea. Sometimes our souls, because of remaining sin, question whether we are true believers or not. And we look for all the evidences of being God's child. And then the Spirit comes and bears witness. It's like a judicial proceeding regarding titles and evidence. There's the judge. There is the person who sets forth his claim, who produces and pleads the evidence, and there's someone who argues against the evidence. And then a trusted person enters into the court and gives a full and complete, altogether satisfactory evidence on behalf of the claimer. And this stops the mouths of any adversaries in the court and gives joy and satisfaction to the man, and he wins his case. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. So with our lives and assurance, the soul by the power of conscience is brought before the law of God. And we give everything we can in testimony that we are the children of God. Satan opposes us with all of his might. He says, you are not a believer. You are not a Christian. The truth is questioned and our assurance seems to be in doubt. By a word of promise or in some way, the Holy Spirit overpowers the heart with a comfort that persuades beyond all doubt. Your plea is good. You are God's child. And when our spirits are pleading their right and title, says Owen, he comes in and bears witness on our side. And we both cry, Abba, Father. In his own time and way, He makes all parties concerned a test unto him and puts an end to all controversy. Praise God. That's the importance of the witness of the Holy Spirit. This is the reason for the addendum to the sermon from this morning. Because without this, our heart's evidence alone would lead us to despair. With the Spirit, he proves our sonship. Assurance of eternal life, absolute, is the result. And so, people of God, let us draw upon this benefit. Let us thank God for the spirit of adoption who indwells us. Let us depend more upon Him consciously as the personal God He is to grant that sense of assurance that we so need to be galvanized for service to Jesus Christ in this fallen world. Amen and amen.